Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show I'm Michaela Stubbs And on today's program we're looking at radioactive waste and human rights In the second half of the program, we'll hear from Michael Jun from the Korean Melbourne Candlelight Action Group, who are protesting the release of Fukushima wastewater by Japan. First up on the show, we'll hear from Friends of the Earth's national anti-nuclear campaigner, Dr. Jim Green, about the recent visit of United Nations Special Rapporteur on Toxics and Human Rights, Marcos Orellana. These special rapporteurs are part of the largest body of independent experts in the United Nations human rights system and work on a voluntary basis independent of any government or organization. Dr. Marcus Orellana is the special rapporteur on the implications for human rights of the environmentally sound management and disposal of hazardous wastes and substances. He recently visited Australia and released an end-of-mission statement on the 8th of September. Dr. Jim Green joins us to discuss. Marcus Orellana is a UN Special Rapporteur, otherwise known as a Special Procedures Expert, and his area of expertise is toxic pollution and the human rights implications of toxic pollution. So he's visited Australia and been to many states and territories and spoke to lots of people about lots of different issues. And he's put out a preliminary report. So, yeah, it was really interesting. We got to spend a day with the special rapporteur in Adelaide. We had a full day with him uh, and covered a whole range of, of nuclear issues. But before I'll get get to that it might be worthwhile just summarizing some of the things he said in his preliminary report on broader issues he's talked about communities who he visited denouncing the capture of the state for the benefit of mining oil gas agrochemical and other corporate interests Uh, he complained about what he called draconian restrictions on the right to peaceful protest in several states He complained about significant delays in the processing of requests for environmental information under freedom of information laws. Uh, He complained about the narrow scope of judicial review of government decisions. Uh, So overall, he's done, done an excellent job and got his head around a whole lot of issues in a really short space of time. And as I said, uh, he visited Adelaide and we spoke to him for a day on on nuclear issues. We had people involved in the uh, now defeated Kimber nuclear waste dump campaign. We had Kimber farmers and also Bangla traditional owners. Uh, We had a lawyer talking about the Makati traditional owners' successful campaign against a nuclear waste dump. Uh, We had Karina Lester speaking from the APY lands in South Australia about the, uh, the ongoing legacy of the British nuclear tests. We had Dimity Hawkins, the co-founder of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. We had reps from the Gunjami Aboriginal Corporation in the top end of the NT. Uh, we had Adna Martin, a traditional owner, Gillian Marsh. We had Mia Pepper from Nuclear Free WA. We had Gavin Mudd, who's a uranium mining expert. And we had Dr. Christine Jeffrey-Stokes, who was speaking about the contamination of drinking water by 
so-called norms, naturally occurring radioactive materials. So a long day, and most of that is, most but not all of that is reflected in the preliminary report, which has been released. Yeah, amazing to bring together all those really incredible community campaigns and, yeah, have it looked at from this perspective in the international sphere. I saw that he notes that there's a deep disconnect or distance between the government and community narratives concerning toxics. Was the government engaged or did you have a sense of how they were receiving this visit? Yeah, uh, well, the government was absolutely engaged both at the beginning and the end of the Special Rapporteur's visit to Australia. That's the federal government. And I think state governments were to a greater or lesser extent. Uh, He was invited to Australia, so I guess that's an act of good faith on behalf of the federal government. Uh, That said, I got the sense that the government's really trying to hose down concerns that he might raise. but, you know, I guess that's the way these things go. And um, as, you, as you mentioned, uh, community opposition and community concerns was central to what he was dealing with. I mean, that's his job, really, the human rights implications of toxic pollution. And we were especially pleased that he focused on the uh, disproportionate impacts of toxic pollution on Indigenous peoples on First Nations, and I might just read a quote from his media release which sums up these issues, and I'm quoting here, the special rapporteur also noted the particularly acute distance between the government and Indigenous peoples. It's instructive that all citing initiatives by the government for a radioactive waste repository have failed, leaving a legacy of division and acrimony in the communities. The loss of lives and song lines resulting from the exposure of Indigenous peoples to hazardous pesticides in the Kimberley region, from asbestos exposure in Whittenoon in WA, and from the radioactive contamination following the nuclear weapons testing in South Australia, are all open wounds. Alignment of regulations with the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples is a critical step in the path towards healing open wounds of past environmental injustices. And that's the end of that quote. But I thought that was a, a really nice way to encapsulate a bunch of the problems and concerns and the ongoing hurt and discrimination that's still uh, affecting Aboriginal people. You were saying he is going to be compiling a more thorough report from this. And what are the next steps with that? Are there any mechanisms to enforce things? The report has no official standing. It's not an official UN report. It's certainly not officially endorsed by the Australian government. So it really is up to us as members of civil society to make best use of this report and to get it out and about in the media and uh, to get public uh, understanding of these issues and to make good use of the report in doing that. And uh, last but not least, to put pressure on the government, the federal government and state and territory governments to act on the problems that have been identified by the special rapporteur. And one of the issues that we highlighted uh, when the special rapporteur was in Adelaide and which he highlighted in his preliminary report was uh, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And one aspect of that UN Declaration is that Uh, Indigenous people should not be subject to any sort of toxic 
repository or dumping without their free, prior and informed consent. Uh, unfortunately, the UN Declaration doesn't have any legal standing in Australia. But, you know, that's what we need to change. We need to pressure the federal government to to incorporate the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples into legislation and to respect it and to comply with it. And that's more or less what the UN Special Rapporteur has recommended. And, of course, that stands in striking contrast to the way even this Labor government has acted until recently they were trying to impose a national nuclear waste dump on Bangla country in South Australia, despite the unanimous opposition of Bangla traditional owners to the proposed nuclear waste dump. Uh, so that UN declaration is important for our follow-up work. And another important issue, it's a related issue, and it was also highlighted in the Special Rapporteur's report, is the federal legislation called the National Radioactive Waste Management Act. And that allows for the imposition of a nuclear waste dump without any consultation with traditional owners and without securing the consent of traditional owners. So once again, we've got important work to do to get that legislation changed so it's uh, so it's no longer a racist and appalling piece of legislation. Yeah, absolutely. And so turning to that campaign, what are the next steps now? I mean, the last time that we reported on this on the Radioactive Show, the Federal Minister for Resources had just come out saying that they would not be appealing the federal court decision that ruled that the nomination of the Kimber site was invalid. What are the next steps in this campaign now? Yeah, well, we're not quite sure, but of course the management of Australia's radioactive waste has just got a whole lot more complicated because of the plan for nuclear-powered submarines, which means we'll not only have domestic low and intermediate level waste, we'll also have high-level nuclear waste from the reactors that power the submarines. And we don't quite know how the government's going to deal with all of this, but one possibility and a fairly strong possibility is that the government will roll all, all of these things together. So they'll learn to have a single storage site for uh, for both the storage and disposal of low, intermediate and high-level waste, uh, whether it's from a range of different sites around Australia, plus the nuclear submarines. So that's probably the most likely outcome. And we will hear more about that next year. The government says they'll release a, a report detailing the process that they're going to undergo to find a, a site. And uh, so, yeah, it's kind of in the government's court at the moment, but we're pressing the government to do some of the things I've talked about already, like amend the National Radioactive Waste Management Act uh, and take out all the racist and un undemocratic provisions in that act and also to incorporate the UN Declaration into Australian law. So... There's never a dull moment and we've still got important work to do. Yeah. And what are the steps? How would that happen, getting the UNDRIP included in, in Australian law? I don't have a strong knowledge of that issue, how that would be incorporated into legislation, but my understanding is that it could be incorporated fairly simply. It would just take a matter of uh, the government legislating so that the UN Declaration does have a uh, legal standing in Australia. It's 
conceivable that that could be done as a regulation uh, so it would effectively be a unilateral action by the federal government. But I think it's more likely that it would need to be legislated, in which case they would need to win uh, support from uh, the lower house and the Senate in Canberra. But it's certainly doable. It's just a matter of getting the political will to do it. And I'm not aware that there is any real political will to make that happen nor to amend the National Radioactive Waste Management Act. So we've got a lot of work to do to uh, to achieve those two outcomes. There was also the session that I mentioned by Dr. Christine Jeffries-Stokes, who's a paediatrician in Kalgoorlie. She was talking about contaminated water, contaminated with nitrates and uranium, resulting in kidney disease and diabetes and various other problems. Unfortunately, that didn't get a mention in this preliminary report from the special rapporteur. I don't know why, and I hope that it does get a mention in the uh, in the final report because um, it's a very important issue and there's lots of Aboriginal kids drinking poisonous water from the day they're born. You're tuned to The Radioactive Show, and that was Dr. Jim Green speaking about the recent visit of Special Rapporteur on Toxics and Human Rights, Dr. Marcos Orellana. Orellana states that perhaps the most immediate and momentous opportunity for Australia is to incorporate the right to a healthy environment in its domestic legal order. Doing so will require not only constitutional or statutory recognition of the right, it will also require a review of the legal framework for environmental protection that is largely reactive and beneath international best practices. This is where human rights can guide the transformation of law and policy to avoid legalising hazardous levels of toxic pollution, to secure respect for the rights of Indigenous people to enable informed public participation in environmental decision-making, to ensure the internalisation of environmental costs, to transition to zero waste and a circular economy, and to make the right to live in a toxic-free environment a reality for all. And we'll link to the end of mission report in our podcast notes. And you can find our podcast at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. And the full report will be released in September 2024. So I'm sure we'll be returning to hear more about that next year. Meanwhile, the high cost of the federal government's failed bid for a national nuclear waste dump near Kimber has been revealed. Madeleine King, Resource Minister, says $108.6 million was spent between July 1st, 2014 and August 11, 2023. The next steps in the dump campaign and the pressing question of where the AUKUS nuclear submarine waste might end up will be discussed at Friends of the Earth Melbourne's Nuclear Free Collective Info Night. It's on Wednesday 20th of September, 6 to 8pm at Friends of the Earth, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. And Dr. Jim Green will be there, joined by Bangla traditional owner, Linda Dare. We'll go now to a song by Coloured Stone called Poison Planet.
And that was Coloured Stone with Poison Planet from an album by the same name. You're tuned to the Radioactive Show produced in the studios of 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy on unceded lands of the Kulin Nation and heard nationally thanks to the Community Radio Network. The Japanese government started releasing wastewater from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power station on the 24th of August. Currently, they intend to discharge 1.34 million tonnes. But we can imagine that the quantity will grow over time as more of the wastewater accumulates. Despite assurance from the International Atomic Energy Agency, the scientific and civilian community have been protesting this radioactive release into the ocean. Today, we'll hear an interview from Green Left Weekly Radio team with Michael Jun, a Korean living in Melbourne, who is part of a group organising a candlelight vigil to protest the radioactive release into the ocean and raise awareness of the impacts on Koreans. Michael, would you be able to just firstly tell our listeners about the emergency situation the people of Korea and also neighbouring countries face by the Japanese government releasing this radioactive waste from the Fukushima nuclear reactor into the Pacific Ocean? Well, um, I don't know exactly about other countries, but as far as I know, China has stopped importing all Japanese seafood, including processed seafood. And I understand that there is no Japan campaign going on across China, and that anti-Japanese sentiment is actually intensifying. Uh, to talk about Korea, uh, the industry that had uh, the biggest hit is the fishery industry. Uh, sales in the fish market have dropped dramatically, and the restaurants that sell seafood are also falling. Uh, in some areas, sales have risen for a short time, which is interpreted as a result of the last rush of people trying to eat more seafood before the wastewater reaches in Korean shore. And uh, in the case of ships going out to work, uh, to the ocean, I have to say that it's uh, fortunate because they don't need to spend any money, although their income isn't good at all. Uh, but it's quite different situation in the farm. In Korea, we have uh, farms growing oysters, abalones, seaweed, as well as many kind of fishes. Since the usual sales are not taking place, the volume of farming is increasing and the cost continues to increase. In the case of Japanese government, the budget has already been set up to compensate for the losses to the uh, Japanese fisheries and farmers. But the Korean government is only talking, uh, not actually uh, deploying the budget. Uh, the Korean government is currently banning import of Fukushima seafood and is telling us monitoring radioactivity of most seafood so people can enjoy it as before. But the anxiety of the people who have studied hard over the last two years about this wastewater has not been resolved. So the consumption of seafood is expected to decrease for a long time. And uh, panic buying happened too. There was a lot of panic buying for frozen fish and salt. Uh, 
the government continues to advertise that the supply is sufficient and uh, supply is safe in the future. But as I said earlier, people's anxiety has not disappeared. So the panic buying is inevitable. Considering that Korea was one of the countries with no panic buying at all when the world was panic buying due to COVID in the past, you can understand how people are going crazy about this whole thing. Michael, would you just be able to elaborate a little bit on why it's dangerous and the, the way that uh, heavy metals, including radioisotopes, can tend to accumulate through the food chain, including through marine plants and animals? Yeah, what we believe is uh, the um, that radioactive element in the water, of course, going to the small fishes, small fishes eating the... Uh, those uh, things in the marine uh, world. Then, like, you know, bigger fishes eating the small fishes. Well, as far as I know, radioactive elements are not dissolved. It's not going to disappear for a short time. It stays in the body system. So it's basically stacking up. At the end of food chain, we're human. Uh, We're going to eat the fish, which means, like, you know, we're going to stacking up radioactivity materials inside of our body. It could cause not like a small disease. It could cause the uh, the terminal diseases. So, uh, but because some some people it might take quite longer than other people. So we might can't tell like the cause of the terminal disease. But the um, you know at the end like you know we we going to feel something's wrong, uh, and uh, we could say like you know find out like. The, the reason, the cause of the terminal disease is quite hard. But thing is, we, we just want to bend uh, this, I mean, uh, stop this dumping, uh, the water. I mean, because we really don't know. In human science, still we do a little bit of this radioactive element. So uh, what I'm saying is we just stop it now, and uh, we need to start a bit more, then we can make a decision on it. So President Yong Suk Yul has led a campaign to kind of ease public concern and kind of encourage the consumption of seafood. But despite this, there are many South Korean environmental groups and members of the public that are alarmed. And of course, Yun's disapproval rating has risen to the highest in months. And can you tell us about the inaction of the South Korean government and also some of the mass protests that have happened against the Fukushima nuclear waste dumping? Yeah, um, the approval rating for President Yoon was originally quite low. However, after dumping of nuclear waste water, which happened the 24th of last month, around three weeks ago, there's a no sign of any further increase. Just by looking at it, uh, President Yoon talks as if he believes the nuclear waste water has no scientific problem at all, as the Japanese government announced. At the same time, he described the people talking about the dangers of nuclear waste water as unscientific people, and even described them as a targets of attack. A recent survey said 84% of Korean people doesn't like this dumping. So I would say he is not really up to the popularity somehow. Once the presidential presidential office spent taxpayers' money to take and distribute a video clip that 
nuclear waste water to be discharged from Fukushima is technically and scientifically purified and safe to the environment, including human. The Korean government did what the Japanese government supposed to do. As the president of the nearest neighboring country, he should feel the public concern together and tell the concern to the leader of Japan and ask, ask so many questions before the dumping. But somehow that never happened. And he spent money to promote the Japanese government's position, the dumping. Uh, nobody would like it. Speaking of uh, video stories, um, the Australian embassy in Tokyo, by the way, made a short video saying Fukushima fish is safe to eat while its staff were eating fish and chips. I think uh, the fish is from Fukushima, and they posted it on Twitter. I was very surprised when I watched the video, especially when there was a scene where two little girls ate the fish at the end. And I was very surprised. Uh, I was speechless. If you remember the Australian government asked China about the origin of COVID, which resulted in a huge trade problem, what questions did Australian government ask the Japanese government this time? Australia, the leader of the Pacific countries, has never asked any question to the Japanese government this time. Uh, the Australian government's official position is that it believes Japanese transparency, so it believes Fukushima fish is safe. But uh, very recently, Glenn Waverley, Labour Party branch, and uh, New South Wales MP Anurag Shantivong issued a statement against the Japanese dumping. So I have to say that this is quite late, but still a good starting point. Uh, by the way, back to the question. There was originally a series of uh, protests in South Korea calling for the impeachment of Yoon Suk-yeol. And as Japanese dumping and the Korean government side in Japan began, more protests have continued. I understand that more people are participating in the protest. I just said, I understand. Uh, because the government is now overpowering the media. It is uh, one of the reasons for the impeachment protest. As people's freedom of speech is suppressed, the media suppressed, it's uh, quite hard to know the exact scale of the protest at this time. But you can think the large scale of protest happens every weekend in Korea. At the same time, whether big or small protest happens all over the world, for example, in Germany, candle lights go on Friday in daytime. United States, such as New York, Los Angeles, Seattle, Boston, and uh, Japan, Indonesia, Switzerland, and Sydney. In Australia, candle lights will be on tomorrow, Saturday, and the list is getting thicker now. Yeah, um, thanks, Michael. It's great that people around the world are, are showing solidarity. Um, I think you know everyone should be concerned about this issue. Um, all the water in the world connects. So it's, um, yeah, it is important that people support support the rally on it. it just maybe give us uh, the date, the time and the um, 
Yeah, this is the date of the next protest here in Melbourne. Michael, if you can, for listeners. Yes, uh, yes, in Melbourne. We have a protest coming on 23rd of September, which is Saturday at 6 p.m. Uh, Federation Square, Flinders Street side this time. And next one is coming 28th of October, which is Saturday, 6 p.m. Uh, location will be uh, Federation Square or State Library Victoria. We haven't made a hard decision yet. As I said earlier, it started with the impeachment protest of the President Yoon, plus against Japanese nuclear wastewater dumping. But the Australians did not really know at all. Uh, it is uh, fair to say that you don't really need to know about the uh, President Yoon, but we believe the dumping is a big problem for every, everyone in this planet, including Australians. I thought it was not desirable for us to keep it to ourselves. And I thought it would be uh, better for people to get together and speak louder so that the Australian government would start asking questions to the Japanese government so that Japan could stop the nuclear attack against everyone in this planet. Is there anything you'd like to let listeners know, especially in terms of the Melbourne Candlelight Action Group, how people can support as I said before, we, uh, as a group, we gathered uh, for the impeachment of President Yoon, and then, like you know, we start doing this. We are not like people with any special experience before. We are just simple migrants from Korea that you can easily meet in your neighborhood. Uh, so, as a result, the group is not solid yet, but I would say it is a little loose. However, I am confident that the will to do the right thing is the strongest. So uh, we have our Facebook page. Uh, not many contents are available so far in English, but we are working on it. So if you search Melbourne Candlelight Action, you could join us. Uh, we're going to upload more information about this nuclear wastewater and further schedule of future protests. And then one more benefit would be uh, you will learn a bit more about Korean politics too. Before you wrap it up, um, let, me, let me tell you this. Uh, the word we hear the most when we protest is that other countries are also releasing nuclear wastewater. To put it simply, uh, Korea, China, Japan, and many other countries are discharging some amount of radioactive water into the ocean. However, this water was used as a cooling water in nuclear power plants. It is completely different from the water exposed to nuclear reactor, which was melt down like in Fukushima. It is a huge amount of water from the accident that humankind have never experienced before. So it is water that can't even be determined at this moment what kind of danger it has. Um, if the wastewater is safe, they could just reprocess it and use it for its own industrial or agricultural purpose. But Japanese decided to dump into the ocean we are all sharing. Why? Why the Japanese government ignores people's biggest concern and dumping into ocean? Uh, what if after a few years, this nuclear wastewater turns out to be too dangerous for humans as well as for marine plants and animals? Are we going to drain oil and water and uh, refill it? Well, what would we do? We will serve, by that time, food that we couldn't sprinkle salt 
we wouldn't eat fish and chips anymore. He wouldn't rush off to get more prawns before Easter. And I wouldn't eat that beautiful scallop pineapple away. And all this, forget water sports. No more surfing, diving, whatever you do at St. Kilda Beach. Uh, they're all gone by that time. So let me tell you, all your listeners, this is last one. If you don't stop it now, there's no way to stop. Please join us 23rd of September, 23rd of September, 6 p.m. at Federation Square. And that was Michael Jun speaking with Jacob and Chloe from the Green Left Weekly radio team. If you're in Melbourne, come down and join with them at the Candlelight Vigil, 6 p.m. Federation Square on the Saturday, the 23rd of September. Thanks so much to Dr. Jim Green, Michael Jun, Chloe and Jacob for joining us on the show today. Thanks to the Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne for the support for their show. Please join the Nuclear Waste Info Night on Wednesday 20th of September 6 to 8pm at 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. Thanks so much for listening and join us again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.